I don't know if you guys realize this, but the Word of God is powerful. Right? The Word of God is powerful. It has the power to change lives, to change things outside of your life. It can do all sorts of things. Hey, what's up, Jasmine? How you doing? This is Jasmine. We like Jasmine here. Uh, so the Word of God has the power to change your life. All right, as, as a 16-year-old kid, I, I, I grew up in church, but I mean, I was starting to question, like, because I realized that, that if God is real, he should probably be the most important thing in my life, and I knew he wasn't at that moment. And it was at 16 years old that, that I just started reading the Bible on my own. All right, I started like, I, I was like, I got to figure this out. I need to, to dig into this. And I was reading an old King James Bible. I had to look up every other word to figure out what it meant, but eventually I started figuring it out, and reading the Bible changed my life. All right, that's when it really started taking root in my heart, and I would read something, and it would challenge me, and I would then step out by faith to start living that way. And I, I saw God just completely take over my life as a result. I've got a friend who coincidentally also at 16 years old started reading the Bible, except he as a 16-year-old, was in a men's prison. And he had done some crimes. They did not try him as a juvenile, and they put him in a men's prison. And as a result, they needed to protect him from the rest of the population. So for about 23 and a half hours a day, he was in solitary confinement for multiple years. Right? So, and here's the 16-year-old kid, right? He'd been living his life a certain way, and he starts reading the Bible, right? Something simple. It's, it's, it's not just the words on the page, though, because as he starts reading it, it starts changing him from the inside out, right? He, he actually starts memorizing scriptures and just kind of meditates on it and just fills his life, saturates his life with it. And it turns out that God used that season of his life as preparation because just this past February, this guy planted a church in Massachusetts that has over 300 people attending it. It's less than a year old. And God's word has the power to change lives, yours and mine. And it starts with you just seeking God. Because the primary way he exposes who he is and reveals who he is is through his word. All right? and, and, and the word of God, what I'm talking about, the Bible here, it's just a collection of manuscripts. All right? it's, it's 66 books, over 40 different authors written over thousands of, of, of years. And, but it was God-breathed. All right, it's written by man, but God's the one that inspired them to write. All right, God's the one that had one continuous message throughout. God's the one that would prophesy about future events hundreds of years before they happened and then fulfilled them in the same Bible. All right, so don't think of it as just one book. It's, it's a collection. And I want to let you know that, that God's word is powerful. All right, we're talking about the God who was able to speak the universe into existence. Right, that he was able to speak and create lives and animals. All right, and that his very breath was able to breathe a spirit into mankind. And even now, when, when someone becomes a believer in Jesus, God gives them new life. That the breath of his spirit it just infuses within them and their spirit becomes alive. Jesus referred to this as being born again. Right? He said like, the only way he could compare it was the difference between not being alive and then being alive. Like, like that's the difference that he compared it with. He, the Bible says that we were yet dead in our sins when he 
died for us, right? So, so God has the ability to change lives. His word is powerful. We're going to look at that today as we continue our series in Colossians. It's a letter written by Paul. And if you want a Bible today, uh, we've got them for free. Just raise your hand. Joshua here will get you one. And we're on page 844 of those Bibles. If you've got a different Bible, I don't mean to trick you, but it's not on page 844 of your Bible. Like, I'm not trying to, like, it's not a decoy, right? It's not a trap. Uh, But, yeah, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 is where we're reading, okay? And, And this is what it says. Man, I've got Joshua running around all over here. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right, so let the word of Christ dwell in you. Now, dwelling, think about, that means his word needs to take up residence in you. Right, that, that his word needs to occupy you on a full-time basis. Right? It is dwelling within you. That that is the thing that is just dwelling in you. And the quantity of which it dwells in you should be described by the word richly. All right, think about what that word means. Richly means to be in abundance, okay? All right, richly means that it should be just thriving and over the top, right? So, so the word of Christ should dwell in us richly, Right? We should be saturated. Like, like sponges, we should just soak in the Word of God. We're saturated with it. And then when we're under times of pressure, that is the thing that comes out of us because it's already in us. Right? So that's how the Word of God should be in us. Now, now thinking about the word richly, right? think about someone who richly spends their money. Right? They have no limit. They, they're spending it in such a way that they're not worried about the quantity that they will have left. That's the way that we should be filling ourselves with the Word of Christ, right? Where we take no account of how much we've already put in there. We're just like, I'm just, pack some more in there, right? I can get some more of this in me. Or think about, now not that I recommend anyone does this, but if, if, if you are so full of the Word of Christ, if someone bit into you, it should be like a rich chocolate cake where they're just like, there's just so much flavor, this is like rich, full of the Word of God. Right? I don't promote cannibalism, but don't do that. So, uh, but you should be so full of the Word of God. Sometimes the way we might describe filling ourselves with the Word of God is meditate. All right? We should meditate on God's Word. All right? Now, meditation doesn't mean just like, you know, like whatever. Uh, not that yoga mats are wrong or anything. I might, actually, I was thinking of buying a yoga mat recently because I was thinking it'd be cool to, like, pray on. And I don't think Muslims should be able to just corner that market. Like, I can have a mat to pray on, right? Like, that's okay. Like, I could do that. But anyways, um, but yeah, we should meditate on the Word of God. All right, that means to just run it through our minds, that we just think on those things, that we, we let that be the thought that we repeat over and over. That, right, because if, if we don't do that, this is the tendency that we're going to think about our consequences, or our circumstances, or, or, or the things that are going on in this world. We're going to think about the bills we got to pay, right? Our brain develops neural pathways. or like a rut. We're just literally thinking about the same problems over and over. Or you'll think about the argument you had with someone three years ago, and like, man, I should have said this, right? And, like, and you're just like still running this argument through your head, right? That's what we end up doing. We end up going to a place of worry where we're not sure what's going to happen and we're all concerned about what am I going to do? What's, how am I going to get through this? 
But if we fill ourselves with the Word of God, that is the thing that we dwell on. That is the thing that will build faith in us. In Romans 10, 17, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it will build faith in you when you read the Bible. And that's why someone who's in solitary confinement can read the Bible and have it change their lives. All right, that's why that can happen. So in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8, now Joshua was the replacement of Moses. Moses had died, and God sets up Joshua as the new leader of the Israelites. He's going to lead them into the promised land, right? They just spent 40 years in the wilderness. And, and God sets him up. He knows that there's going to be battles ahead of him. He has seen actual, like, Men like giants in the land that by comparison they felt like grasshoppers, right? He knows that just over the shore of the river is this city Jericho surrounded by walls. And he knows all of this stuff. But what God tells him to do, he tells him right after this actually to be strong and courageous. But this is why he could be, is this. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Now, God does prosper Joshua, but I want to point out that the very act of meditating on the book of the law, the word of God, he was making his own way prosperous as the result. And you can do the same thing. And it says, and then you will have good success. Right, so notice that meditation should be day and night, right? So, so plan on some times, carve out a moment of your life that you can dedicate to reading the Bible because it is powerful and it will change your life, all right? It will, it will do stuff in you that you can't even anticipate. And in this case, he's saying, you know, it will make you prosperous and successful. When Jesus is talking about truth, he said that you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if you think about this, the, the less truth I have, the less free I am. So the more I fill my mind with things of this world or, or worldly wisdom, the less free I will be. But the more I fill my mind with truth, right, written by my creator, then I'm more free as the result. All right, so, so we need to meditate on this stuff so that we will be free. And we need to get the truth from our Bibles, right, to our heads eventually to our hearts, and then eventually in our actions. And it takes time for that to happen. And in order for that to happen, we need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Okay? So that's what we're looking to do. And conversely, don't be filled with the thoughts of this world. All right? Don't focus on the lies or half-truths or less than God's truth. Uh, Because if you think about it, Book of Genesis, that's how Eve went wrong. She believed a lie, all right? And eventually wrong thinking leads to wrong actions, right? If she was filled with the truth, if she was filled with the truth of God, she wouldn't have fallen for it, right? She wouldn't have made the wrong choices as the result. And same for us. We need to make sure that we are filled with the truth. We need to focus on on God's truth and what his Bible says about us. One of the biggest lies that, that we believe is condemnation. All right, that as Christians, I want to let you know that, that God says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. All right, if you don't know Jesus yet, I really would like for you to meet him because he offers forgiveness for free. He cleanses us of all of our unrighteousness, and God then, as a result, looks at us as holy. 
right? Our own goodness falls short of God's best, and as a result, we, right, deserve punishment. We deserve, right, justice to be done on us for the times that we fail, but Jesus offers forgiveness freely, having paid the penalty for our sin, right? So, so as a, a believer, you can actually think of yourself as holy, right? God looks at you as the righteousness of God in Christ, right? He sees Jesus when he sees you. And in fact, the Bible says that, that he has removed our, our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Another passage says that he's cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. All right, our God is omniscient. He knows all things, but the things he chooses to forget are our failures. When he forgives us, it's complete. All right, so the condemnation that we feel, the lies that we run through our minds, the failures that we dwell on, he doesn't want us dwelling on them. All right, and that's a lie. That's not our status. That's not our position in Christ. So I want to let you know that if you experience condemnation, it's not from God, right? The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. He'll point out the issues in our lives that need to change, but he does not condemn. And if you have this mentality of condemnation, it will end up leading you to, to wrong actions. It'll, it'll lead you down to something less than God's best for you. So, looking back at Colossians 3.16, uh, as the result of being filled and letting the word of Christ dwell in us, it says that we will now be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. All right, in all wisdom. So teaching and admonishing. The word teaching means to instruct. All right, I used to be a math teacher, and, and here I remember, this is just not even in my notes, but I remember like looking at a comic strip where this kid's like, I taught my dog how to whistle. And like the guy's like, really? Wow, that's pretty impressive. Like, let's hear it. And like the dog can't whistle. And he said, I didn't say he learned it. I just said I taught him how. And I, I know as a math teacher, I had to make sure I wasn't just covering curriculum, but that the kids actually could perform it to some capacity, uh, you know, in the end. And, uh, and this word teaching in the Greek actually is a teaching with learning as a result. So it's not just like, you know, teaching with like, I'm not going to just teach the Bible and, and just completely over your heads. Jesus taught in principles, and I'm making all sorts of noise here. I apologize. I don't know. But, but Jesus taught in parables because he wanted to connect with people, right? He took a concept of God and then brought it down to a, a, a way and a level that they'd understand. He'd talk about fishing. He'd talk about farming. He'd talk about all, planting seeds and, and plants growing or birds and, and all sorts of things like that because he, he wanted to teach in a way that learning occurred. And that's the kind of teaching that's talked about here. The word admonishing, I've got the definition on your notes here, uh, right here for you, and it's, it means to, to express warning or disapproval. But I think the tone here is what's important, especially in a gentle and sincere way. So the Word of God will at times right, address the areas where we're wrong, but it'll do it in a way that is, is, is warning us in a gentle and sincere way. Right? Like, if, if, if I've got a sin issue in my life, if I'm doing something wrong that it would down the road destroy my marriage, you better believe I'd hope a friend would come and tell me and be like, Brian, like, I'm warning you as a friend, like, I care about you. I look for your future success. You've you got to sort this out. You've got to deal with this issue. Right? You've got you to handle this problem because it's not going to be best for you. So this sort of admonishing, it's a type of warning out of genuine concern for the person. And in fact, in 2 Timothy 3, 
Paul also writes this letter, but here he's actually writing to, to a young pastor. Uh, and he says this, he says, all Scripture, all right, talking about the Bible, the, the law, the prophets, the Old Testament, the histories, the songs, the, the books of wisdom, right? He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, all right? So if you have a perception that the Bible is, in fact, restrictive and holding you back and is just a book about, like, I can't have any fun, that's not the case. The, the Word of God is profitable for you, all right? It's, it's good, for you, God's best interest for you. And it, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof or correction, right? Uh, and for training in righteousness. So God uses the Bible, his words, as a means of preparing us. And notice what it says after this, that the man of God may be complete. That means without this stuff, we are lacking what we really need to be. All right, that without the word filling us, we are less than and incapable of accomplishing what God's called us to do. And that's why it says that, that we would be equipped for every good work. All right, and I don't know if you guys are like survivor man. You can only still survive so many days out in the wilderness before you die. You need to be equipped for every good work. That filling yourself with the word of God will allow you to walk out the plan that God has for your life. Right? He has a means to make you complete. He has a means to equip you, and it's, it's right in front of us. And this is so valuable. In, in fact, I got an email from this pastor in Kenya, and he, he just randomly found us on the internet, and, and he was saying that the one thing they want is Bibles. He, he said, if you can do one thing for us, get us Bibles in our language because people are desperate for it because the Word of God is powerful. And here we are so blessed. We've got it, right, books printed all over the place. We've got it on our phones. We've got it on the internet. You can listen to it. There are so many avenues that you can have this. You can study it. You can look at the Greek and the translation, and you can figure out everything. And, And these people are desperate to have Bibles in their own language, right, because the Word of God is powerful and it is profitable. Now, now, the end of that verse, it talked about all wisdom, right? That, that we teach and admonish with all wisdom. That does not mean all kinds of wisdom. That means the fullness of wisdom, 100% of wisdom, all right? That, because there is wisdom that is of this world. There's wisdom that's short-sighted, that only thinks about our temporary life, that, that is, you know, perceived as wise, but in fact is not. All right, so, so I mean, I, I think about this like sometimes, you know, we hear something on TV and we assume like we should just base our life on that. You know, listen to Dr. Phil or Oprah or something. Or, or we read a blog and we're like, wow, like, yeah. You know, or, or we hear about like quotes from famous people and assume I'm going to live my life off of this. And, and there's not necessarily the, the true wisdom behind it. Now, sometimes there can be but not necessarily. So we got to be careful. Sometimes, right, scrolling through Facebook, you see a meme and you're like, wow, that sounds great. There's a little quote, like, it's got to be true, right? That's not necessarily the case. One of the things, this is, I I don't know, like I always get confused by this, but it seems as though sometimes people think that if a statement rhymes, that it's got to be true. And that's not the case. I mean, if it rhymes, it just means we remember it better, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a true statement. So, 
So yeah, don't fall for that one. That's, that's, that's pretty good. I might try to make some of my stuff rhyme once in a while. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, so, so all wisdom means the fullness of, of God's wisdom, right? God the creator, God the eternal, God the one who sees the end from the beginning. He's the one that's got real wisdom, right? Because he knows what's going to happen. And he's already wanting to equip you to, right, be able to do what's going to happen. And, and in both Proverbs 9, 10 and Psalm 111, verse 10, uh, it says this verse, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right, so fear is in terms of, of reverence, but also I don't want to diminish that word. Fear because God is powerful. All right, God, he, he's got it going on. Like God, like he's, you know, he, he is powerful. He is mighty. All right, so it is the, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. So it's through recognizing who God is that we can actually start making wise choices. So don't just give advice to people because like, you heard a catchy saying or whatever and they're going through something that your friend calls you for advice. Right? Make sure that the wisdom you give them is the result of you being indwelt full of the words of Christ in a rich manner. Man, that was the weirdest sentence. But it came together. I think I, I landed it, right? Like, whew. All right, there we go. So um, <laughs> uh, the last part of uh, Colossians 3.16 says that singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So this is talking about what most people perceive as, as worship. Okay, like uh, sometimes we compartmentalize and think like, oh, singing songs in a church, that's worship, all right? Or we, you know, people call it a, a worship service or a worship gathering, um, different things like that. But worship isn't confined only to singing songs. In fact, worship is the way that you could live your whole life. Anytime you're living for the will of God and, and doing what he's called you to do, that, that is glorifying to God, right? Like if you, for 40 years, just go to work, right, five days a week, and you're just doing that, and, and you honor God, like that is worship to God, right? Maybe that's what God's called you to do. You do it, right? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I've heard a preacher say this, and I love it because it's, it's pretty good. He says that I glorify God just as much when I'm taking a nap as when I'm preaching a sermon, all right? And, and I like it because I happen to like sleep. I like napping. I'm a huge proponent for it, but also I don't drink coffee, so maybe that's, the, I don't know. But uh but the idea is that, that, right, Jesus took a nap in the boat, and he was always in the will of God, right? And he's actually napping on the boat in the middle of a storm. And I want to point this out, and it almost maybe would even sound sacrilegious, but he was glorifying the Father as much when he was taking a nap as when he was dying on the cross, because he was in the will of God in that moment. All right, so, so we worship God with our lives, and our actions and our decisions. It's not just something that we want to compartmentalize to a building, to a moment during a church service, right? Or, you know, to a time on Sunday morning, right? We, we want to let our lives be worshiped to God. Uh, but here we're talking specifically about songs, right? We're singing songs, hymns, right? Spiritual songs, right? All sorts of things. And, and the Bible is, is full of this stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about what singing to God looks like because singing to God is, is awesome. But I understand that worship doesn't actually really make sense sometimes. Like if you're just, if you're like, yeah, like I look at nature and I believe there's a God 
and like that's your current understanding of God. Worship is kind of awkward. Like worship doesn't necessarily make sense. Like, why, well, why would I sing to him? Like that's kind of peculiar. Uh, I don't know. Like, why would I want to get together with people and let's all sing to him? That's also weird, because because it's uh, not the full display of who God is. Right? This, this verse is talking about singing to God as the result of the words of Christ dwelling in us richly. All right? because, because Jesus, the Bible says, was the image of the invisible God, that he fulfilled the will, will of the Father, that when you think about how God feels about humans and how he thinks about you, you should think about how Jesus was, what he said, how he acted, how he moved with compassion towards people to heal them, to feed the hungry, Right, how he loved people. That's how God feels about us. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Father's will, right? So he represents God. The other way that God reveals himself to us is through his word. Right? So through the Bible, he's like, listen, here's my credentials. Here who I who, who I am. Here's how I feel about you. I love you. This is a love letter for you. And this is all about him. Right? So the Bible describes who God is. And it's being filled with those words, being filled with the words of Christ, which oddly enough, Christ in the word, in John chapter 1, one of the gospels, it actually calls Jesus the word of God. Uh, it might take a little while to wrap your mind around, but, but nonetheless, that, that the, the Bible describes to us who God is. And worship doesn't make sense until we kind of know some more about God, all right? And I'm not saying I know everything about God, but we know portions of God and we discover more about him throughout our lives as he reveals his word to us. All right, but the more you discover about God, the more you just, you just get happy. All right, you just want to sing. You want to get excited about who he is, what he's done for us. Right? You get crazy excited. All right, in fact, yesterday, I had the opportunity to, to, to lead a man to Jesus, where now he has stepped from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's got eternal life, where he's, he's now going to be forever in heaven with Jesus and his family eventually, like that awesome news. Jesus said that when that sort of thing happens, when one sinner repents, not when like, you know, you've got a big crusade event or whatever, and you've got hundreds of thousands of people repenting, but one sinner. God cares about the individual. God cares about the one. And it says, when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices, right? They get happy. They are singing. They are praising God. They are just rejoicing with joy, dancing and shouting because one person has just been invited into God's family, right? One person has just become part of the kingdom and they get excited. So, so it's with that sort of knowledge that you can get excited and sing to God. It's with that sort of thing that you're like, wow, God is so good, right? God is so good. So as a result, we sing. And, and the Bible is full of this stuff. The book of Psalms is, is a book about songs to God. Sometimes it's, it's the full gamut of human emotion where sometimes people are saying like some pretty harsh things in there, but they're just being honest with God. And I think that's good. God thinks that's good. Right? There's other parts of the Bible where people after a victory or something, they sing to God, they praise God. And, and in Psalms, it says that we enter his courts with thanksgiving, right? His, his temple with praise, Praise is like singing a loud, shoutful, joy, joy-filled song to God, right? So not all the time will our songs be soft and somber, but that does also glorify God. In fact, I've got on your notes here, right, what type or which types of music or activity are holy, and I've got a list there for us to think about because I know sometimes we think, nope, 
It's got to be organ music. Like, that's the whole, that's the ones that, like, God's really glorified with that. It's got to be a hymn. You know, like, we, we have these perceptions of, of what it needs to look like, but in fact, like, God loves to be worshipped in different ways. All right? And, and here in, uh, I don't have these verses, I'm just going to run through some of the activities that you might do when worshipping God. In 1 Timothy uh, 2.8, it says that we lift up holy hands to the Father. All right, holy hands without wrath, without doubt. We, we lift them up and worship God. All right, so you might see that here. I understand you might not be comfortable doing that yet. That's fine. You can step out. You can just do like one of these like sometime. Like, just like sneak it up. We won't, right, we won't like, you know, snitch on you. We won't tell other people you were doing it. Don't worry, it's okay. This is a safe place. But, but we lift up holy hands. You might be uncomfortable with the word holy, but I just told you earlier that God sees you as holy. When you become a member of his family, when he adopts you, Right? He, he makes you holy. Right? So that's one of the things we do when we worship God. We lift up holy hands. Right? Another area in the Bible, it talks about that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Now, for some of us, that means in this life, right? where we, we submit ourselves to Christ. And for other people, they'll meet Jesus after they die and they'll realize it too late, and they will bow before him, realizing who he is, and every knee will eventually bow to the name of Jesus. They'll realize who he is. So that's why sometimes, like, it's, like, you can just bow to, to worship God. And I mean, I know some churches, they're like, no, like, we're children of God. We don't have to come to him that way, but listen, I, I like to be able to just do this sometimes, because, you know, it just puts me in my place. It puts my flesh in my place, and it's like, you know, if I, I don't know about you guys, I got issues with pride, pretty great. But like this, like, I got to get my face on the floor sometimes and just like, all right, let, let's put on, on who he is. So during worship, it's okay to bow. All right. I'm not saying you have to, all right. We're not going to keep tabs on, on who's bowing, who's not, who's, you know, doing whatever. It's between you and God. Worship is between you and God. And I guess that's another thing is don't, don't do it as a show for the people around you. In fact, some of the stuff I really recommend, let your singing to God invade the other parts of your life. All right? Let your singing to God, uh, could be in the shower, right? I mean, when I was that 16-year-old kid who started reading the Bible, I was a pizza delivery boy. I didn't have any Christian CDs. There wasn't a Christian radio station I could tune into. I was out in the sticks. And, and I would just drive around. And I knew, like, maybe, like, Christian songs. And I would just, like, sing to God driving. It was awesome. And then other songs, I, I only knew, like, five words from that song, but I sang that one part. It was good enough. Like, and I would just, like, be praising God in my car, and then, like, oh, here we are. Deliver this pizza. Here you go. And then back to, like, doing that. And it, I'm telling you, let God invade and saturate your life. You can glorify God playing Minecraft. I'm fine with that. I play, I play Minecraft sometimes, by the way, guys, so you know. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of a video gamer. I've got a shirt that says camp, and I do like the outdoors, but I also like the indoors sometimes. Um, so this next, this next concept, this next activity of worship, uh, I think it would be very easy to, to perceive, right, like this is only for, for the ladies. But let me ask this of you guys. How many of you guys have ever, like, killed a bear? Right, any bear hunters in here? Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Like, right, that's like a manly activity, all right? I imagine 
perception, I don't know. Uh, right, so, so right, the, this guy who does this in the Bible, he, he likes, he killed a bear once. And he didn't even have a gun. Like, I think he used either like a club or a sword or a dagger or something, right? And he just like kills a bear. He also killed a mountain lion once. Have you, anyone killed a, a mountain lion or a lion? No? So yeah, this guy's probably maybe a little bit more manly. I don't know. Uh, and, and also like this guy, he actually at one point wanted to build the temple of God in the Old Testament. And God was like, no, 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 no. Like you, you've, you've killed too many people. Like, you've shed too much blood. He wasn't a murderer. Well, later, well, sadly, later he did become a murderer. But God forgave him. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like, he, he was actually credited as a soldier, a warrior for God in his army, that he was credited with killing, like, 10,000 of the enemy. All right? So, so this dude was just, like, beast, right? This guy, like, this guy, like, Rambo going out there and, like, killing, like, right? And, and this guy, this, this manly dude, he is credited in the Bible as, as just flat out dancing before God. Like, just like, just all out, like, just dance, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm bad at dancing, but, right? But he is just so excited about God and his presence that he is just all out, like, dancing and getting down and, right, like, whatever it was, I don't know. But, uh, but we can dance before God, all right? And, and this manly man was dancing before God all out, so much so, right, he was dancing in public, and and his wife was embarrassed. She's like, what are you doing? Like, like, you know, like that sort of thing. Like he was just like so excited about God dancing before him with joy that his wife is embarrassed. And he says, you know what? I'll become even more undignified than this. Right? He was just unashamed, just all out dancing. Right? So there are times when we might dance before God, right? And do it in your house, do it alone, do it here is fine as long as it's modest. I mean, we're not talking about twerking here or anything, like keep it appropriate, but you can dance before the Lord, right? It's, it's good stuff. Uh, and, and once again, like we dance for the Lord, for other people, so it's not like dancing with the stars going on in here or anything either. Uh, an, another thing we can do is, is we clap our hands, like we get excited about God during songs, we clap. The Bible says that in Psalm 47.1, that we clap our hands, that we shout to God with a voice of, of triumph and praise, Right? So we can be loud when we worship God. We can get excited when we worship God because he's worth getting excited about. Psalm 98 says to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Right? So that's where our shouting's coming from. It's not like, God, why are you doing that? It's like happy, joyful, you know, shouting. But uh, I think it's okay to still be mad at God sometimes. Uh, guys, to be honest, it's more important that you're honest with God about the way you feel than to like hide it and ignore it and just like push it down and assume you know who God is or what he's done and blame him for it. Like, seriously, sort that out if you've got the challenge. And, and the last verse I want to look at about, about worship and singing and songs is uh, in Psalm 150. It closes out the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs. And it's written by that beast man, right, Rambo. And, and this is what it says, that... Uh, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. So, oh, now we're getting some instruments in here. I don't remember, I don't remember trumpets always being in church environments, but hey, let's get some trumpets, right? That's great. Right? Praise him with the lute and the harp. Now we're talking stringed instruments. 
right? So, okay, that's cool. Like, we got that going. Praise him with a tambourine and dance. There's some dancing again. By the way, tambourine is a type of a drum. So we got some drums. Like, this is good stuff, right? Uh, Praise him with the strings and the pipes. So we've got guitars, right? Stringed instruments. We praise God. These instruments are not unholy. We use them for the glory of God, right? So don't just assume that church is supposed to look a certain way. Music is for the glory of the Father, right? Praise him with sounding cymbals. Yeah, we got some cymbals on our drums. That'll be good. Some hi-hat, whatever, right? Praise him with loud and clashing cymbals. So this isn't even quiet music. This is loud music. This is good stuff. And it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord, right? So we can get excited when we sing to God. And we sing to God because of who he is and what he has done. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about singing to God or dancing or clapping or whatever is don't only worship God. Don't only sing when everything is going right in your life. Uh, In fact, when your life is in the worst mess, you probably should get to worshiping God. Like, you should probably be praising God in the midst of that turmoil, okay? In, in the Bible, I've got it on your bonus content, there's a story where the, the army of Israel is just outnumbered, they're going to war, and like, they're like, what are we going to do, right? And what they do, they, take, they send these people out to the front lines with instruments to praise God, which seems cruel, like, man, we didn't even send them out there with weapons, right? But, but they go out there, and they are worshiping God, they're praising God as they go into this battle, and the entire enemy army is defeated as the result. So I want to let you know that in the midst of your challenge, you should praise God, not because of what you, you know, only when things appear to have worked out for the best, but in the midst of everything going wrong. And I've, I've done this in my own life where the, the darkest season of my life in a, in a matter of six months, all right, I'd had, uh, my wife had left me, not Katie, this was another wife. Uh, my best friend had died in Iraq and I lost my job. Right? And then, like, so I've got my support network, and then, like, to find my new job, I get relocated in the middle of, of Granby, Massachusetts, and I was in, like, this shack that I was renting in a farming community. I'm in the middle of, like, farms, and I'm all by myself, and it's like, man, like, I didn't want to be lonely now. Like, I needed my support network. Like, why is this all happening? Like, what's going on? And it's in the middle of that, right, where we're just, like, focusing on God and, and praying and, and reading the Bible that, that God just fills me with, with joy, where I actually, in that little shack in the middle of the farm, I get like just blasting some music and just dancing and praising God and just shouting and worshiping him, and he fills me with true and genuine joy, all right? And that's why I want to let you know that you can worship God in the midst of the worst things happening, and God will fill you and let your focus and your mind go on things that are good, on that, that glorify him, that, that you won't be focused about your own little mess. You'll realize how big God is in perspective to it, right? So I absolutely recommend you worship him in the midst of your difficulty. So let's have uh, the worship team come on up. Like I said, we're not going to put you on the spot. No one's going to be looking around. Uh, I think the songs today are even a little bit slow, so it might be hard to dance to. But if you want to tap your foot, you can do that. It's, it's a start, right? So, so do whatever. Uh, I think Alex had to head out to work. I told him to honor God, worship God, right, in the workplace. That makes sense. So, so we've just got, we've got Josh here for, for closing, but, uh, but that's good stuff. And um, 
And then after we, we sing these songs, I'm going to come back up and, and just explain a couple different things as well. Let's do this. All right. Uh, if you would please stand, we'll worship together.